0: morning. Hey, you guys are cheering. That's awesome. Thanks for attending my uh, recording of my Netflix special. It's so good to have you guys here. (laughs) Hey, uh, Pastor Anthony alluded to this, that it is called Hometown Weekend, and uh, they had to change the title of it because of me, um, because they used to call it Young Communicator Weekend. And I was like, hey guys, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not really a communicator, so if we could drop that name. But I am young and I'm gonna hold on to it, right? Come on, who's with me, right? Okay, I'll just leave now. All right. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it's been a long week and so I'm gonna remind myself of who lives at my house and uh, we'll figure things out with a microphone. So I need to show you some pictures of my family. You guys okay with that? So I need to I need to refresh your memory here. This is uh, a picture of my four girls before they went to camp uh, Kippa Sandwich or something like that. What is that? I always say it wrong. Camp Kippy Kippyacci or something like that. And that's Ruby, Ellie, uh, Maddie's on the right with the the pink hat, and then Rosie. They are four uh, beautiful daughters. You know what they say about ha- having daughters. Just remember it, okay? Just remember what they say because they will turn out to be teenagers in a few years. And uh, they are uh, my beautiful daughters. Here's a picture of my boys, a couple of my boys. Well, we were out in Yellowstone this summer. Uh, Joey and Charlie and I climbed up to a mountain because you're in the mountains and what do you do? You go to the top. That's what you do. And so we got up early one morning and climbed up to the mountains. Earlier this summer, uh, earlier, earlier, uh, my boys, all my boys, Danny, Joey, and Charlie, we all went to the Boundary Waters. And uh, how many of you guys have been to the Boundary Waters before? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yes, look at you guys. And so uh, if you go to the next picture, you can see them there. And uh, we are men. That was our rite of passage. We, we made it. And uh, here's a picture of my beautiful bride on our 17th anniversary. Aw, Yeah. There's a couple things I need to show you in this picture. All right, my wife's name is Paula. On the right over there, you see uh, the dumpster we're adding on to our house. So in our front yard was a dumpster, a pile of lumber, uh, all the kids in the background, uh, just a whole lot of mess going on. And you notice that I'm wearing my go-to shirt. I'm also wearing it today. Uh, (laughs) men you got a go-to shirt don't you yeah you know and so uh i so that was on our 17th anniversary and uh it is good to um to be a kids pastor here it's good to have a family that uh continues to grow and we have we have a strong community and uh pastor anthony thank you for the privilege of speaking today well we're here should we get some work done should we go for it all right Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 10, verse 30, and I'm going to read from there. Jesus replied, and he, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Verse 32. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper. Look, at, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Jesus I pray over the next couple of moments as we look at your word, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, and God, that we would leave this place better people than we were when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about the characters in this story. The first character I relate with the most, it's the priest priest, pastor, I've been a pastor for 16 years. I was a youth pastor uh, for the first 12 years of ministry because why, because I was cooler um, than I am now. And, uh, and I did youth ministry for a long time and then I transitioned to kids ministry because I realized that my kids were in kids ministry and it just fit our family better and I love the next generation and I figured, hey, why not, let's do kids ministry. Well, as a, as a priest and as a pastor, I see this and I go, why did the priest not do what he was supposed to do? Why did he not go and help the man who was obviously hurting? Why didn't he do that? Now, I can't extrapolate every single reason, but I have a few things that I think were going on. One, I think, was that he had no room in his heart, he was just wore out. He was a wore out person. And to that, I have to say, I have to personally apologize. As as a pastor, um, I have to apologize for when I haven't been there and you've needed me. Like, I genuinely am sorry. And I think there's some of you here today that you've needed a priest or a pastor in the past, and they haven't come to your rescue. And I have to stop and say, I'm sorry that happened to you. I apologize. This is a real thing for the man who was robbed. I'm sure he could see the priest walking by and going, Hey, I thought you were supposed to help. Where are you? That's what I do with the first character in this story. The second character, you guys, you guys might relate with a little more. Um, he's the Levite, the devoted follower, the, the temple assistant, um, the life group leader, the deacon. Wouldn't that be funny if we, at the end of service, we go, All right, all the Levites, life group leaders, and deacons, please come forward for prayer teams? Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a funny person. I am really funny. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> I was playing softball last uh, this Wednesday and uh and the other team made a really good play and the, and they go, "Uh yeah, we practice." And then I'm like, "You guys practice?" And I just started laughing to myself and nobody else was laughing. And then I turn to my teammate and I go, I am funny. I know I'm funny. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 32, it says, So the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. Why? Why did he do this? You know, as a believer, and and most of you here would be considered in this category, um, interjecting into somebody's life is the hardest thing to do. It's actually the most awkward thing to do. When somebody is hurting and you know they're hurting, for you to interject and say, hey, is there anything I can do to help out? That is hard to do and it's awkward. And I wanna encourage you, start interjecting into people's lives. Start it. Just start interjecting into people's lives. You need that and they need that. You know, I do this um, weird thing in my neighborhood. I ask people their names yeah I know it's weird it's weird I go hi I'm Carter what's your name yes I know it's weird you, some of you guys are cringing right now your palms are sweating and you're like I don't want to ask people their names hey if you can know somebody's name then you can know their story and if you can know their story then you can minister what to what God needs so people walk past my house they got the I got the big mess in the front yard and there's they're looking and I go hi What's your name? <laughs> it's an awkward thing. So the, a couple nights ago, I was uh, wiring the addition part of my house, and we need to pass an inspe- inspection. And I asked my wife, Paula, can I just go through and list everybody in my neighborhood that I know by name? And can we just put it on a list? And she goes, yeah, sure. Well, here's the list. There it is. <laughs> 91 people in my neighborhood. And guess what? That's not including the dogs. (laughs) I told you I was funny. (laughs) Here's the thing. (laughs) 91 people in my neighborhood. Um, I just, when people walk by, I want to know their name. I just want to know their name. There's some people I can't pronounce their name. So then we have this awkward dialogue about how I'm going to pronounce their name, and then I try to get it right. You know, it took me like six or seven times to get Satender right. But I got it. And guess what? Satender texts me and I text him and we, we take walks together and he's a 65-year-old a um, Sikh from Punjabi. Did I say that right? Whatever. Punjabi. <laughs> get to know somebody's name. How many of you guys know your mail person's name? Your mailman, your mail lady? Come on, raise your hand if you know their names. Mike, right? <laughs> If you don't know your mailman's name, get to know their name. You know why? Because they know your name already. (laughs) They know your name. And guess what? They're at your house every single day, right? So Muhammad comes to my house on Friday. He delivers the mail, and he has a package, and the door is open. We're doing construction, and he looks in. He goes, hey, what are you guys doing? I'm like, Muhammad, come on in. And so now my mailman is standing in my house. We're talking about his family, where he's originally from, all this stuff. And guess what? Interject into somebody's life. Interject into their life. And, okay, just a side note. When's the last time you had somebody that was not your ethnicity inside your home? Come on. Think about it. Interject in your into somebody's life. When I was uh, 15 years old, I was a beekeeper, and uh, that was my very first job as a beekeeper. I'd always people ask the first question they ask is, "Did you get stung?" Yes, I got stung a lot. Yes. I remember one day we were it was really hot and we had our bee suits on and uh, we were in this yard in Burt, Iowa. If you know where Burt, Iowa is, the Lord bless you. But we were in Burt, Iowa and um, I had this bee suit on and it was really hot so you take your shirt off uh, uh, underneath there and then, and then all of a sudden I was starting to get stung throughout the day and then I got done and I, I just started counting. I had over a hundred bee stings in one day. Right, But that wasn't the lesson I learned from that job. (laughs) What I did learn from that job was my boss, his name was Jim Ingalls. And one day we had to move, we were at that bee yard and we had to move those bees to a different part in his field so that they they could pollinate. And so he wanted me to go up to the farmer's house and ask him if it was okay to move the bees from here to there. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to a stranger. I don't want to do that. And he goes, Carter... What's the worst he's going to say? The worst he's going to say is, no. That's the worst he's going to say. So you find somebody that is injured, you're walking along a road, you're walking along your life, you're, you're going about your business and you see somebody that needs help, what are you going to do? You're going to interject, and you interject, and then what's the worst they're going to say? No, thank you, I don't need help. You did your part. If somebody says, no, thank you, I need your help. And some of you guys are worried about, oh, well, I'm just going to wait for the Holy Spirit to guide me to interject into somebody's life. Guess what? You don't need the Holy Spirit to guide you to interject into somebody's life. You need the Holy Spirit after you interject to figure out how you're actually going to help them out. You should clap there. That's good. (laughs) It'll be good for the Netflix special. But isn't it true? You don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you to interject into somebody's life. You need the Holy Spirit to tell you what you're actually going to do once you're there. The third character in the story is the good Samaritan. In verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, putting on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he went back with two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Why did the Samaritan ask? He had room in his heart for compassion. He had time on the clock to spare. He had money to spare, and he had the courage to interject. Let me break those down a little bit. He had room in his heart for compassion. The Amplified Version of the Bible says that he had pity and sympathy for the man. Uh, Sometimes I summarize it with this old saying, call it say uh, just like this. Knowledge of the need constitutes the call. Some things the Lord is showing to you very specifically that he's asking you to be a part of. It's almost like you, every time you uh, are thinking about whatever, doing God's will, you think about world hunger and, and what you need to do to help out world hunger. That is the Lord showing you that there is a need specifically for you. And the knowledge of the need constitutes that you are called to help out with that. You don't have to clap there. I'll be all right. He had time on the clock to spare. The Samaritan not only bandaged uh, the, the man who was hurt uh, with his wounds and he took him to an inn and then the next day he went back to check in on him. He had time. Our lives are so busy we don't have time to help somebody with a flat tire. They got AAA for that. Put some time in your clock for the Holy Spirit to move. Third thing is he had money to share. The two denarii equated to two days wages. And at the time you mix in or and then add the time that he put in there. There was a very valuable exchange for the good Samaritan to help out. He used two days of wages. That's two days, two days. And then he used his time. Some of you are like, you know what? I'm just worried about making the mortgage payment right now. Guess what? In that scenario, the most valuable thing was the man's time. Think about that for a little bit. And then the last thing is he had the courage to interject. Hey, you're in rough shape. There's something that I can do for you. Let me help you out. You know, sometimes when uh, I think about, like, if you're at work and, and you have a coworker that um, loses a spouse or, or loses a friend or, worse, loses a child, and, and people don't know how to interact uh, with the person who loses somebody, you know what? Just interject and say, hey, guess what? For the next two weeks, I'm going to show up at your office, at your cubicle. We're going to Zoom, whatever we do in COVID now. I'm going to show up at 2 p.m. every single day. We'll have coffee. We'll sit down and talk for a half hour. No business. We'll talk about your lost loved one that you have. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about cars. We'll talk about anything you want, but I'm going to be there for you for that half hour. That's how you interject into somebody's life. You don't say, "Um, do you need anything? Just Just give me a call if you need anything, okay? No. The man took, the good Samaritan took charge and he goes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bandage you. I'm going to put you on a donkey. And I'm going to take you to an inn where they can take care of you. Now, here's the last thing. No, it's not the last thing. I was kidding. Don't start leaving yet. <laughs> Why is Jesus even telling this story? If you jump back to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert of the law, a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Bad move. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? And the lawyer replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And that's why Jesus starts telling that story. You see, there's another character in the story that we have to talk about. It's the person who was injured on the side of the road. Um, Let me connect some dots for you, okay? So uh, in the picture here, Jerusalem is all the way up here, and there's a, a path along right through that valley called the Wadi Kelp. And the Wadi Kelt is a narrow, uh, you know, a narrow valley that they're walking through. And it was, it was rugged, it was mountainous, and it was known to be a dangerous path. And um, when I think about the man who was sitting on the side of the road, left half dead, half naked, um, I think about another spot in the Bible where they are writing about a valley, In fact, over to the right over here is the Kidron Valley, and King David writes about walking through a valley. Let me read that scripture for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, David wrote about walking through a valley, a dangerous thing. And he said these words, I will fear no evil, for I know that you are with me. You see, Jesus responded to this guy, this lawyer who was trying to test him, and he responded in a way that would totally upend every single social norm that he had. He said, guess what? This story is about loving your neighbor and about how God loved you more than anybody else. The Lord is my shepherd. That means that he's with me. He's never going to leave me. He's always going to take care of me. When I have that thought, I go, you love me so much. You sent your son for me and all you're asking me to do is to love my neighbor? All you're asking me to do is to interject into their life when they need help? And you're going to promise me eternal life in heaven? Of course I'll do that. Of course I'll sign up to love my neighbor. And what I want to encourage you to do today is interject into somebody's bad day. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. We have bad days, I know. I know that. I know in that story, I've been all four of those people. I've been a good Samaritan. I've been a pastor that has walked by a situation. I've been a Levite that has walked by on the other side and I've helped out. And I've also needed somebody to help me out. But when I read that story, I realize that God loved me so much that any valley that I walk through, he is there with me. And I think we can all agree that this world needs more love. Right? Amen. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you'd help us to love our neighbor. I pray that you'd help us to interject into somebody's life. God, I pray that you would help us to be just like the good Samaritan, loving you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. Lord, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you. I personally thank you for loving me so much. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.